Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to John chapter 24. John chapter 24. Again, reading in a few moments with the 19th verse. 19th verse. About 15 years ago, I was pastor at First Baptist Newberry, and the Hispanic population in Newberry was just growing by leaps and bounds. And our church was led to try to do something about that, get the gospel to them, start a church for them. Well, we prayed about it and sought several different avenues, and finally God answered our prayers. And he led us to a man who worked a secular job, but was, he was originally from Puerto Rico, but he'd been in the United States most of his life, very devout Christian, and he felt like it was his calling from God to be able to start new Hispanic churches. And so he came and began to leading our church. They met in another part of our building, and uh, the church got started, started growing. He did a wonderful job with it. The church grew some more. Uh, there was a man in the church that felt led into the ministry. And so this church planner started discipling this young man, and eventually he became the pastor of the church. Well, he took over as pastor of the church. The church continued to grow, and just by the amazing action of God, it turned out that there was a vacant church building in Newberry, and we were able to get that church building. It was just given to that congregation. It was an amazing thing, and they continued to grow. And, uh, you know, the convention, state convention was able to use that building and to, you know, have classes for other Hispanic pastors. And it was just coming along real well. They were growing. They would meet on Saturday night. They would meet on Sunday morning. They'd usually have more on Saturday night than Sunday morning. And then after they went on like this for months, they proved themselves to be a true Baptist church. They split. <laughs> Basically, they split uh, along national lines because about half of them were Mexican and half of them were from Guatemala. And you know, the big issue, one of the most important issues between them was worship style. And that's what's caused the problem. Now, we're going to be thinking about the five functions of a church over the next several Sundays. And today we're going to be looking at the church has the function of worship. Now here's a question. If worship is one of the basic functions of the church, why does there always seem to be so much contention surrounding it? You ever thought about that? Why do people get so upset about how worship is conducted? I think the scripture gives us an answer. In Matthew chapter 4, we find this. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world and their splendor. All this will I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan does not want God to be worshipped. Satan wants to worship himself. He wants to keep us from worshiping God. And so he gets in among us, and he stirs us up, and he says, well, I want this, and somebody else says, I want that, and pretty soon you've got a church fight going on, and nobody's worshiping God because we're dividing up into sides and deciding, you know, who's going to win this battle. Usually when you see a great deal of contention going on in the church about, you know, something that has the potential to split it, it's not over something important. 
It's something Satan stirred us up over something that's relatively insignificant. Now, Jesus had another time when he talked about worship and encountered a situation with it. It was the time that he was going through Samaria, and his disciples had gone away to buy food, and he was at a well, and a woman showed up in the middle of the day, not the usual time for women to come to the well. And Jesus struck up with a conversation with her, and, you know, they got to talking about water. And he said he could give her living water. And she said, oh, I'd, I'd like to have this living water. And Jesus said, all right, go and get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right in saying you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you have now is it your husband. Well, let's pick up the story there in John chapter 4, verse 19. After Jesus had told her that, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, A time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, notice the progression in the conversation they were having. Her sin had been exposed. Jesus showed her that he knew where she had fallen so very far short of the ideal. And so she supposed that her immediate need was to, you know, find forgiveness through an act of worship. Well, that was a, a good thing to be thinking. At least she was on the right track with that. The problem was, She was saying, all right, where do we worship? Should we worship on this mountain or should we worship in Jerusalem? Now, let me give you a little history there. You know, the Samaritans were the the people that were left after the northern kingdom had gone away into exile. And there were some Jews left, just a few, and they brought in people from a lot of different other nations. And so the Jews that were left in Judah uh, considered these people half-breeds. They looked down on them. And so, of course, the Samaritans resented that. And they decided, well, we're not going to go down to Jerusalem to worship God there. And they decided that they should worship God on Mount Gerizim, which was near this place where Jesus had had met the woman. And, uh, you know, they built a temple about 500 B.C. on Mount Gerizim. Well, over the course of history, the Jews decided they didn't like that. So about 200 B.C., they went up there and destroyed their temple. So the Samaritans were still pretty ticked about that. And so the Jews didn't have much dealings with the Samaritans and vice versa. And so the woman raised the issue. Now, was she raising the issue out of a legitimate concern about the best place to worship? Or did she raise that issue because she was trying to get the attention off of her sin and wanted to start arguing about something religious? You know, we do that too, don't we? So, you know, Jesus talked with her about this. He said to her, notice notice what she said. She said, our fathers worshipped. You know, past tense. She was called in the past. Things like they used to be. Jesus pointed her to 
a future possibility. He said, the time is coming. The time is coming. Things are going to change. The time is coming and now is. Now is, Jesus said. It already was for the, his followers. You know, they were already catching on to what he was saying and what he was proclaiming and what he was doing. And eventually that was going to spread to the whole world. And then Jesus reminded her salvation is from the Jews. The Jews were John's chosen people. It was from the Jews that the Messiah had come, Jesus himself, the one who would be the deliverer for the whole world. So the right place was to, as far as, it was not a particular place, it was what God was doing. And it's what he was doing first through his people and through Jesus as the Savior. And then Jesus said, we are to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, now, in essence, he was saying, doesn't matter where you're going to worship on Mount Gerizim or where you're going to worship in Jerusalem. That's not going to matter anymore. If the, if the center of our worship is the Savior and it's directed toward God, then, you know, you can worship at either place or any other place in the world. Some of these things are insignificant. Doesn't mean you don't need church buildings and materials to worship. But it just means that they're not the most important thing. Jesus said we worship in spirit and in truth. Now, as human beings, we have a spirit. And it's through our spirit that we commune with God. God communicates to us through our spirit. We communicate back to Him through our spirit. We worship in spirit. And we worship in truth. Now, usually we think of truth as the, the doctoral truth. That's part of it. Jesus said, I have the truth. That's part of it. But I think what he was saying was, we really worship in truth. We don't just pretend to. Maybe this woman was trying to start up an argument over which is the best place to worship. And Jesus, in essence, was saying, that doesn't matter. You can't come and pretend that you're concerned about these things when really you're not ready to deal with God directly and let Him deal with you directly. So we worship in spirit and we worship in truth. Now on the basis of what Jesus was sharing here, let's think about some things. First of all, what is worship? Well, the root of the English word means to ascribe worth. Makes sense, doesn't it? And we ascribe worth to many things. And, it, and this is a natural something. It's not something that we have to make ourselves do. It's just something that arises up within us. You know, we can ascribe worth to uh, a new electronic gadget and the thing that it's able to do so quick. We can ascribe worth to a new automobile. We ascribe worth to an engagement ring. We see a fantastic play by an athlete, and man, look at that. Wasn't that fantastic? We, there, there's a moving portrayal, you know, by an actor. There's a great amusement ride at the park. Somebody didn't come up to you and say, well, you need to pay that attention. That was really good. It just comes out of you, doesn't it? Now, that should be the case with God. We are to worship Him. The problem is we worship other things. We get caught up with some of these things I've just mentioned. You know, the Bible reminds us very clearly that we're to have no gods but God. We're not to worship an idol. We're not to worship a person who has become the object of idol worship. 
We are not to worship the sun, moon, and stars, the Scripture says. Those are created things. God made them. We're not to worship any created thing. We're not to worship ourselves. We're not to worship any other person. We're to worship God because He is worthy of our worship. Why do we worship? We are responding to God for what He's done in Christ. Think about what He did in Christ. He gave the best He had. He gave His one and only Son. And Jesus came, and He died on the cross. Jesus came, and after He died on the cross, He was raised again. And because He did that, we have the possibility of having our sins forgiven. We have the possibility of being cleansed from our sins. We have the possibility of eternal life. We have, you know, all these things beside God with us day by day. They're not really just possibilities. They're facts because of what Jesus did. And so we worship because when we understand that, man, we can't help but respond. We can't help but respond. We worship we gather for worship to encourage each other. We come to worship, and because you're here in worship and worshiping, it helps me worship. Because I'm here in worshiping, it helps you worship. We encourage each other when we gather to worship. We show whose side we're on when we gather to worship. We say, it's worth my time and energy and effort to come to a place of worship where I can study the Word and where I can worship God and where I can be with other believers. We're sowing that, yeah, we're going to follow God in His ways. And we worship because it's pleasant and fitting. Just pleasant and fitting. You know, worship should be something that we enjoy doing. You know, in the history of the church, the church has tried to, you know, categorize and then teach, you know, the, the basic tenets of the faith. And in the Westminster Catechism, you know, the, the, the question is, you know, what's the purpose of man? And the answer is, the purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We're to enjoy God, enjoy His presence, enjoy praising Him, enjoy worshiping Him. That's why we worship. We worship when we recognize God as Creator. You know, we realize that, you know, God made everything that is. And we, we praise Him for that. Now, over in the book of Revelation, it has you know, the, the host of heaven surrounding God. And one of the things that they say in praising God is, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. We exist because God created us. All that is exists because God created it. And we worship God when we recognize what He's done in creation. We worship when we recognize that Jesus is our Savior. Notice that our is underlined. Put it in underlined my. Jesus isn't just a Savior. It's not even enough to say Jesus is the Savior. You've got to get to the place where you could say, Jesus is my Savior. I've accepted His forgiveness. I've cast my lot with Him, and I'm going to follow Him. And we worship Him then because He's saved us. He's forgiven us. He's cleansed us. 
He's given us eternal life. He walks with us day by day. He prays for us. He cares about us. He helps us. We worship when we recognize God's goodness. God is just a good God. God blesses His whole creation. He causes His rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He sends His sunshine on everybody. He gave Jesus to be the Savior so that we could be forgiven and cleansed, so that we could have eternal security. He's just a a God who does that because He is a good God. He gives and He gives and He gives. He gives us eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God, He gives it to us. He just gives and gives and gives. Think about what He's done. My goodness, he's, He's put, you know, pearls and oysters He's put coal in the ground. Aren't you glad? Around here, still most of our heat comes from coal because it generates our electricity. Aren't you glad that this past week God put some coal in the ground? You'd been awful cold if he hadn't. God's a good God. He is just always blessing us. You know, the Bible talks about how gracious he is to us. What did the the psalmist say? My cup overflows. Jesus said you will receive good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. He he told the parable of the prodigal son about when that wayward son came home. The father didn't just kill a calf, he killed the fatted calf. God is a gracious, good, giving God. And when we realize all that God does, all that he helps us with, blesses us with, we worship him. Now, worship includes praise and adoration. We are praising God for who He is. He's the King. He's the Creator. He's the Savior. He's the Redeemer. You know, he's the Lord of all. I mean, you just go on and on what He is. We thank Him for what He's done. He's given His Son. He's given us eternal life. He gives us life, health, blessings. Again, you could just go on and on and on. Part of worship is confessing. Lord, I have sinned. Part of worship is going before God and saying, Search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me so that we could let Him show us what's standing between us and Him. Scripture says that if you confess with... Scripture says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So when we come to worship and confess our sins, we walk out the door, snow white, Completely pure. Worship includes thinking. You ever thought about thinking? (laughs) Worship ought to be the time when we think. Scripture says, let a person examine himself. How have I been doing? Or thinking about God, how great he is. We don't, we're not, you know, taught or encouraged to do that in our society today. You know, it's from one thing after another. It's got to be a constant something going on, a constant sound. We don't have time just to sit and think. Sometimes in worship, you just need to be quiet. Be still. Psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. Just be still and think about God. You know, some of the times, in, or a lot of the times in worship, every time in worship when we're taking up the offering, you know, the instruments are playing, good time to be still and think. Well, Your private worship ought to include some thinking time. 
And then it includes giving. God said to the Hebrews long ago, no one should appear before me empty-handed. We need to bring an offering when we come to God's house. His basic guideline is the tithe. And we give because he's given to us. And we give sacrificially because it should cost us something to serve the Lord. Then we hear God's word read and preached so that we're open to what God is saying to us. And then part of worship is submission. It is surrender. You know, it's kind of like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, my, my will but yours be done. It's surrender. Lord, whatever you want from me. And then it's resolve. Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. Wherever you lead me. Will you sing it? Wherever he leads, I'll go. No, that's the idea. It's devoting ourselves to living for the Lord and serving the Lord. Now, when have you worshipped God? Now, I know you're in church this morning. You may be here and not be worshipping. You may be worshipping. When have you worshipped God? Thought about some, that some, myself, and thought about, you know, I can remember worshipping God when I was like seven or eight years old. And we, we were singing in Sunday school assembly one, one Sunday morning. He lives. And it was just, you know, such an upbeat song, you know, as a child. I, I like that. It just made it easy to worship God. Worship God one time when I was a teenager and things weren't going too well between me and my girlfriend. And at church we sang, you know, we're marching to Zion. And I thought, Lord, I know you're leading me. However this works out, I'm going to continue to follow you. Worship. I used to love to worship when I was rocking my babies when mine were small. And uh, I would sing hymns to them. Now, some of you already know that I can't sing a lick. And, and Joy said that they would go to sleep out of self-defense. But, <laughs> but it, it, was, you know, it was just such a special time to think I can make a difference in this child's life from just a few weeks old by letting them grow up hearing some of the things of the faith. Worship time. Worshipped in church a lot of times. Worshipped in church, you know, when we would sing, Jesus loves me. Worshipped in church, we would sing, I love you, Lord. You know, worship in church, when, when choir specials were sung, that just catch you up sometime and focus you on God. Worship Him in church. I've worshipped in church at funerals. When there's a casket in front of the pulpit, family in grief, and yet, you knew the impact that person had made for the kingdom of God. And you knew you were going to see them again. And you worshipped. Worshipped. When a child or an adult walks down the aisle to receive Jesus as Savior, and one more, one more has found the light, one more in the kingdom of God, you praise God and you worship let me share something a little personal with you. Back in 2002, we decided in First Baptist in Newberry that we were going to have, start having a contemporary service. And, you know, that, that was needed. I was in agreement with it. We were going to start it. But I wasn't wild about contemporary music. You know, I, most of it I was familiar with. I'd heard on the radio. And, you know, what I was hearing a lot of times was a whole lot of guitars and not much words. 
<laughs> and yet, when we started singing those contemporary hymns, you know, after a while of doing that and learning them a little bit, I began to get into that. And I began to re realize that I was really praising God. There was just something about that kind of music that led me into the place where I could really worship God. Now, basically, I'm kind of a reserved person. But I found that really freeing. And it was, it was just something that's kind of a, you know, was a surprise to me. And you know, if you think about our hymns, our hymns address God, our hymns talk about God, our hymns allow us to give testimony to what we feel or think about God. And the contemporary music does the same thing. The, the difference I see is contemporary music is a lot more focused on personally us relating to God. And uh, that's, it, it's just a, uh, has been a help to me. But that was just something I wanted to share with you. Worship. Worship. It begins when we realize who God is and what He has done. It's natural when we receive Jesus as Savior because He's forgiven us of our sins, cleansed us, blesses us day by day. And it continues in our lives as we daily experience God's mercy and His grace and His love and His help and His presence and His power. Worship. We've turned the service into a little different order today so that you could hear about worship. And now for the rest of the service, I hope that you're just not attending a worship service. I hope that you will spend the next few minutes worshiping in spirit and in truth.